0: You are in your car, driving home. Thoughts enter your mind of what you have to do, a meal that you might be preparing, a game that you want to see. When suddenly, a sound, unlike any you've ever heard, fills the air. The sound is above you. A trumpet, a choir, a choir of trumpets, you don't know, but you want to know. So you pull over and you get out of your car and you look up. And as you do, you aren't the only curious one. You notice that the roadside has become a parking lot. Car doors are open and people are staring up into the sky. Shoppers have raced out of the grocery stores and the little, the little league or softball game across the street has come to a stop. Players are looking up into the sky and what they see and what you see has never been seen before. As if the sky was a curtain, the drapes of the atmosphere have been pulled back. A brilliant light spills into the earth. There are no shadows, not of one. And if you look across the sky, there's an endless fleet of angels stretched across the blue sky. They pass through the curtains like one myriad after another until they occupy every inch of the sky, north, south, east, and west. Thousands of wings rising and falling in unison all to the sound of the trumpets. And you can hear them, cherubim and seraphim. They're chanting, holy, 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 The final group of angels comes out and they're followed by 24 silver beaded elders and the multitude of souls who join the angels in worship. Presently, the the movement stops and the, the trumpets are silent, leaving only that triumphant triplet. Holy, holy, holy. Between each word, there's a pause. And with each word, there's extreme, profound reverence. You hear your voice beginning to join the chorus. You don't know why you're saying the words, but you know you have to. Suddenly, the heavens are quiet. The angels turn. You turn. The whole world turns. And there he is. There he is. Jesus, the Son of God. Through the light, you see this silhouetted figure, Christ the King. He sits atop a stallion, and the stallion is atop a billowing cloud. He opens his mouth, and you are surrounded by his his declaration, I am the Alpha and the Omega. The angels bow their heads. The elders remove their crowns, and before you is a figure so consuming that you know, instantly you know, nothing else matters. Forget the stock markets, the latest movies, the school reports, sales meetings, and football games. Nothing else is newsworthy. All that mattered matters no more, for Christ has come. (laughs) Do you believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ? Jesus told us that he would come. If you're looking at your notes, I want you to see uh, John chapter 14. I know we're in Matthew 24, and we'll get there. John 14, 1 through 3 might be some of my favorite scripture. Jesus says, Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. You say those words? I will come back. He said... And take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. Uh, What a word to us. He speaks to his disciples and to us. You know, if we were going to summarize those three verses, we might summarize them by saying, You do the trusting, I'll do the taking. He will allow us to trust him as he does the coming to receive us. The whole idea is for us to trust in him. Our minds can't really get our heads around it. Even what I've described to you seems unbelievable uh, that that, that that could happen, that the whole world would see it. He says, trust me. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust in me. He's saying, don't be troubled by the return of Christ. Don't be anxious about things that you can't fully comprehend. Issue, you know, we could talk about the second coming today and talk about, oh, the millennium or the Antichrist and who that is and this and that, all these different ideas. But he encourages us don't be overwhelmed. Don't be in a, in a view of something that might divide us. For the Christian, the return of Christ is not a riddle that we're trying to solve. The return of Jesus is simply a day to be anticipated and to be celebrated. Jesus says, Trust in Him. He doesn't want us to be troubled. He reassures us with these truths. Notice, He says, "There is in My house many rooms, plenty of room." Don't you ever wonder why He said that? You know what? What's He telling? I got plenty of room for you. You know, I think He says it because a lot of times in the world they have no room for us. Have you felt that before? They don't. No, not enough room on the team for you. Not enough room at this job. Not enough room from somebody you love. Not enough room in my heart. Uh, sadly, sometimes we, um, we get treated like no room. Jesus felt that. Even when he's in the room, remember, no room in the end. Uh, for the, the people in his hometown uh, of Nazareth uh, said, we, we don't have room for a prophet in our town. Religious leaders accused him of blasphemy and said, we don't don't have room for some self-proclaimed Messiah. We don't have room for you. But Jesus comes to us and he asks, will you have room for me? And a few people comparatively open their hearts and say, welcome in. And when you say, I have room for Jesus, Jesus says, I have room for you. I am coming to receive you to myself. I have prepared a place for you. I'm going to prepare this place so he he knows you. He knows your needs. He knows exactly who we are. Heaven is this perfect place for people that are made perfect by Christ uh, as he changes our hearts, as he works in us. So he's not kidding. He says, I will come back. And take you to be with me that where I am, there you can be also. You can feel his conviction, can't you? You feel his assertion of clarity of what he is coming to say uh, to us. Now, Matthew 24 is our scripture today. Uh, We're looking at this chapter Uh, We're actually looking at 24 and 25 together uh, with 25 next week. Um, Matthew 24 has like a hinge, a hinge that helps us to to grasp what he's saying before and what he's saying after in, in the message from 25. And it's in verse 36 to 42. Here's what he says. But about that day or hour, no one knows. "...not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father, as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man." For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day, Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, and one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding with the hand mill. One will be taken, and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what Day your Lord will come. It's the hinge moment. You know, he says, just as in the days of Noah, you know, it makes you think about when somebody just said that, maybe you would think about the sinfulness of the world at the time of Noah. That's not what he says. Uh, Maybe you think of some other characteristic that would be as in the time of Noah that you would hear today. You hear what he said? He said people were doing the same thing as you did this weekend. Eating. Drink, I'm pretty sure you did, right? Eating, drinking, um, married, getting married, taking care of a family, uh, simply living your life. Sounds just like our day, right? Could, you know, just as he came at the time of the flood, so too is Jesus Christ going to show up, the Son of God coming to be among us. Um, when you look at these uh, chapters... Matthew 24 and 25, is commonly called the Olivet Discourse. And it's named that because it was delivered to the disciples on the Mount of Olives, right there outside of Jerusalem, across from Gethsemane. And Jesus' message there is prompted by the disciples' question in Matthew 24, 3. We've seen throughout these chapters the last few weeks, there's a lot of questions uh, that Jesus was asked. The disciples ask him, tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And the answer that Jesus gives them is the longest answer to any question that is given to him in the New Testament. And the truth that he gives us is absolutely essential to the understanding of the second coming of Jesus Christ. So these chapters are directly from the lips of Jesus about his return to earth in glory and in power. So as we kind of step forward this Sunday, next Sunday, as we approach these controversial chapters in the New Testament, a chapter where Jesus foretells the future, talks about the end of the world. There is a danger that we will miss the truths that affect our eternity because we get caught up in trying to discern details that may or may not be answered by the text. You notice he's not just trying to explain to us all the details of his coming. Now there's a lot of that. Uh, You could go to other churches, other places, even not far from here, I'm sure. Uh, And they might have charts on the wall. Uh, And they might be trying to explain uh, how we can tell that his coming is close. Uh, What I believe is that Jesus could come today. Jesus could come 100 years from today. Sounds contrary, doesn't it? It's the only way to interpret this. He could come this afternoon. He could come right this minute. Be okay with you. Be all right with me. Or he could come long after all of us have ended our earthly life. We just don't know. So we try to understand uh, what he's trying to say to us. You know, it's so, in, uh, you know, I listen to some, oh my, I read all these, I, you know, I read all this stuff about all this. And, you know, I, I, sometime earlier in the week, I just laid all that down. And I said, Kim, my brain hurts reading all this stuff because some believe this and some believe, you know how it is uh, about the second coming. And I'm reading all that stuff. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about these country boys that were Jesus disciples that he's actually talking to. You know, you read some of that stuff and you think, man, it would have taken them 2000 years just to figure out what's written here, what they're even talking about. You know, let's, let's just, just, let's listen to Jesus. Let's just recognize, you know, because if you can't understand fully everything he's talking about, there are some things you can fully embrace. You know, one of them is, be ready. Uh, That was not hard to understand. I don't have any problem with that one. Uh, I noticed that throughout these chapters, there's a lot of imperatives that he gives. The imperatives are things like, so make sure that you're not deceived. Uh, Over and over uh, again, he's he's reminding us, and the strongest one is make sure that you're ready. So, you know, we'll talk a little bit about what some of this stuff means, but the truth is he wants to make sure that you are ready because people are not ready for a lot of different reasons. You know, I noticed that kind of getting on a little soapbox here. You let me do that for a minute. I notice that a lot of people leave Christ and leave the church for ridiculous reasons, petty reasons. You know, you have to watch out because if you let your feelings get hurt and that costs you your walk with God, there's something wrong with that. Uh, He's encouraging us to be ready, to make sure that we have our heart attuned, not to people and to the church or the pastor. You know, the pastor, he might let you down. I hope not. I'll try not to do the best that I can. But if you want to get your feelings hurt and go somewhere else and go here and go there, you know, that's up to you. But I encourage you, make sure that you are ready. Don't let anybody uh, get in your way. That's his encouragement to us. He's reminding us that he, did I tell you that Jesus is coming back? He's going to return. So as we look at these chapters, um, We can see these details because a lot of people don't agree about everything, about all the interesting questions, all the questions that arise in 24 and 25. uh, We might not get them all answered, but the questions are, are you prepared for what might happen this week or what might happen the next year? Are you prepared for what might happen in the next 10 years? Are you absolutely certain where your life will be in eternity after your earthly life? So there are a lot of important questions, and Jesus' primary goal in Matthew 24 is not to answer every question about every detail of the end times, but rather to prepare us for whatever future might hold for us this week, this month, this year, the next 10 years, even the next million years. Aren't you glad that we as followers of, of Christ, we are focused not on something, but on someone. Uh, our faith is in him. So as we look at these together, what I want to do for you is just to talk about some words of encouragement. Uh, maybe we can even think about attitudes that we should have as believers. So as you read these chapters, what is, what is he trying to say to us? What is he encouraging you? to? What kind of attitude does he want you to have? First one, we already kind of implied this from John 14, but we want to trust in the authority of Jesus Christ. We want to trust in the authority uh, of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he has called us to be ready. He wants us to respond to him. So he's encouraging us, helping us to think about uh, putting this into practice. And notice what happens in this scripture. Um, Verse 2, Jesus begins to speak about the temple. He says, uh, 1 and 2, Jesus left the temple and was walking away when his disciples came to him to call his attention to its buildings. Do you see all these things, he asked. Truly I tell you, not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Now, the the way that these chapters get interpreted is really there's two or three options. Uh, Some people believe that Jesus is talking just simply about the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. Now, you know that Jesus is speaking, he's he's 33 years old, so we know it's, it's around AD 33 somewhere, I mean, if you live 30 start at zero, you know, it's probably around 33, uh, somewhere in there. Uh, AD 70, uh, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected, uh, we know that um Warriors came in and destroyed Jerusalem, and exactly what Jesus said would happen, no stones stacked upon each other, Um, that this place was completely destroyed. So some people believe that Jesus is talking in Matthew 24 about the destruction of Jerusalem and has nothing to do with the return of Christ. I don't think that's right. Some people believe it has nothing to do with the destruction of the temple, and it's all about uh, the second coming of Christ. I don't think that's right either. I think it's about both. I mean, when he's talking about stones on top of each other, so we got these two prophecies. You know, it's sort of like um, you've ever been on a trip where you're uh, looking at the mountains and you're at some lookout and it's beautiful or maybe you're uh, wherever you are and you see these mountains. You ever notice that you can you can see a mountain that seems close to you? It seems like it's near. It wouldn't be very far away. And then if you look across the horizon, maybe you see even another mountain that's, that looks just as big or bigger, and, but it's out there a little ways. But it looks so close. I mean, it feels like you're right there at this mountain, and that you could just touch that one over there. Well, if you want to get to that second mountain, you've got a long, long journey. You know, you see that close mountain, but then you got to get over that mountain and down in the valley and miles and miles, maybe even thousands of miles to get. That, that's what Matthew 24 is trying to say. He's saying, here's this one idea, which is the destruction of, of, the, of the Jerusalem, and he's using that as an example of how terrible things could be, and then he relates that to the second mountain. He says there's not only this, but there's that as well. And so Matthew 24 is referring, especially 4 through 28 is referring to uh, the destruction of the temple. And then you have him talking about this second. Did I tell you that Jesus was coming back? (laughs) That's what he's talking about. He's giving us an example of a terrible time. Uh, that the, the disciples could get ready for. And then he's speaking to all disciples and saying there's going to be this incredible event that's going to lead to judgment that you must be ready for. So you can see as he's giving us these two perspectives, uh, he's talking that, uh, you know, really regardless of how you interpret all these things, first of all, Jerusalem was going to be destroyed and Jesus was going to return. To his disciples, um, these were like earth-shaking realities, Uh, but these truths are critical for us. So we, as we apply the text, notice what he says. Uh, He says in verse 35, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. So the two realities are that the things of this world are passing away. Things of this world are passing away. Uh, These country boys from Galilee, they show up in Jerusalem and they are stunned by the splendor, the beauty of the temple. These disciples, I'm sure they were impressed. The temple was massive. It was awesome as they looked at the beautiful temple that is built. But even Jesus says, even something as grand and glorious in this. All the things of the world, as incredible as they are, all of them are passing away. You know, this is not our last, this is not our last spot. You know, pecan's going to dissolve and be nothing. Somewhere down I don't know when or how or how it's all going to work, but it's going to pass away everything is going to pass away. He says, the only thing that will last is his word. My words will never pass away. The truth of his word is permanent. Regardless of how we interpret all these details, there's no denying that Jesus accurately predicted Jerusalem being destroyed some 40 years later. And he's not some kind of sham fortune teller. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of history. He's the one that speaks with authority. And so he proclaims clearly what's going to happen. He was right about Jerusalem and he's right about coming back. He will show up again on our behalf. He will uh, return. So Jesus spoke about the destruction of Jerusalem. It happened. He speaks about the return of Jesus one day and that too will happen. And the question is, will we be ready? Will we be responding to him? Uh, he encourages us. Verses like uh, 29 through 30, right, 29. He says, uh, the sun will be darkened. The moon will give its light. Will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Well, maybe you thought that verse just got um, fulfilled watching the eclipse the other day. I don't know about that. Uh, but I'm telling you that has not happened yet. Uh, is still to come. And so he's giving us words uh, about the future. So two things that he's talking about here for us to think about his coming. Now, trust in his authority. That's an attitude that believers should have about them. We're not arguing about whether he's coming back. Amen? We're not arguing with other denominations, other Christians. The second coming of Jesus was not designed to divide the Christian church, but to bring us together in readiness for him. Second attitude, second word of encouragement uh, through this chapter. Second one is persevere in the power of Jesus Christ persevere in the power of Jesus Christ. Jesus is preparing his disciples uh, for what was to come. He's preparing us uh, for what, he says, nobody knows the time, nobody knows the day or the hour, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, except the Father. I mean, that's a pretty remarkable statement from the lips of Jesus. I mean, if this text leads you to anything, it is not towards speculation. Uh, If that's where you end up, then you miss the point. Jesus intends for the followers to walk away from this text being ready for his return. Uh, Notice he he gives us some ideas about what we're going to face. Like what's it going to be like if you're a believer as we're waiting on the coming of Christ, as we know that he's going to return, persevering. You know, he wants you to have courage. Being a Christian was never designed to be just an easy thing for you to do. It took difficulty. It was going to take uh, struggles. You know, we'll have these people baptized tonight. If they were baptized in some countries, their lives would be in danger. They might be um, the possibility of being kicked out of their families. You know, none of that's going to happen tonight. Praise God for that. We have the freedom to celebrate that. But some places it would be like that. He's he's helping us to recognize that there's some cost, there's some sacrifice to uh, to being a believer. Notice what he says. Uh, He tells us that followers of Jesus will face deception. Followers of Jesus will face deception. He mentions... In verse 4 and 5, watch out, there's one of those imperatives, watch out that no one deceives you for many will come in my name saying I am the Messiah and they will deceive many. He says essentially, he says many are going to be deceived, many are going to come and yet many are going to be saved. Uh, That's what he wanted his followers to expect. Uh, 23 to 26, he says, messiahs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, uh, even the elect. When you see and hear those things, do not believe it. Another, another uh, imperative he gives there. So you know, you might think about deception. Maybe you think about Jim Jones or David Koresh or some other big kind of thing that we. But do you know the devil is using people all the time to deceive believers. I I would venture to guess that even in our town, the number of churches that are here, the devil is using some churches, some preachers somewhere, some people to deceive Christians rather than to lead them to Christ. Uh, Maybe even just by super making this gospel so superficial that uh, our people really genuinely save. Let's not be that church. Let's not be those people. Let's not be that kind of pastor and preacher uh, let's not be a, a part of the deception that would lead people away. Let's help people experience a true relationship uh, with Jesus Christ. You know, this um, this Christian life is not like a hundred yard dash. It's a, it's not just a short sprint where they give you a trophy at the end. It's like a marathon. We're in this race. We have to run all the way to the end. The gospel demands distant runners, those who run toward heaven with even knowing that there will be hardships along the way, not letting those hardships overwhelm us. Paul said we will have momentary affliction that is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comprehension. Wow, that's awesome. To those who endure to the end, they will be saved. So he's not talking about salvation through endurance. He's talking about salvation by faith, but a faith that endures, a faith that is strong, that allows God to help us to be faithful. Perseverance is what he's calling us to. Perseverance that marks those that are saved. Perseverance that reminds us that we are saints of God and when he calls us to be faithful. He encourages us to recognize there's going to be deception. And says, persevere, be strong. Followers of Jesus, number two, will face uh, tribulation. Will face tribulation, whether it's the first century or now. Jesus speaks of the beginning of birth pangs. Uh, He's reminding us that there are going to be difficulties along the way. There are going to be wars and rumors of war and famines and earthquakes in various places. Uh, Those are things that they were familiar with in the first century. And they're things that we're certainly familiar with today, right? I mean, all you got to do is look at the news, and we see floods happening and 20 and 30 and 40 inches of rain flowing in Houston and other places around Texas. Or have you, have you heard lately about North Korea? I mean, all of, all of those things are wars and rumors of war and this and that. And, uh, you know, can somebody told me the other day, I quit listening to you, it just scares me. I thought, Yeah, that's, that's true. But he's not, he's not talking about just looking at those. You know, we're going to have earthquakes and floods and uh, all kinds of things that are going to come around. That. But needless to we are not to be immature believers that are affected by the tribulation. Jesus calls us to expect those things to happen and remind us of how to live even though there are struggles and difficulties. He calls you, how, how do you be, the, be a Christian there? How do you prepare to live in a fallen world before uh, he comes again? He reminds us there's going to be deception. There's going to be tribulation. Verse 9 says there's going to be persecution. They will hand you over for persecution. They will kill you. They, you will be hated by all nations because of, of my name. We experience suffering. People, the church does. Maybe you don't hear as much as, as you think we could, but places in the world I described already are in suffering because they've decided to follow Jesus Christ. There will be persecution. As we persevere, we recognize the promise of Christ to be with us. One other one, he says, not only deception, tribulation, recognizing that Christians are not saved from trials, we are saved through our trials, through our difficulties. We recognize he makes us stronger. He builds our faith through the difficulties that we have. Followers of Jesus will face persecution. And finally, followers of Jesus will face temptation. We will face Uh, temptation and difficulty. Verse 10, he says, many will take offense, betray one another and hate one another. The increase in lawlessness will cause the love of many to grow cold. Don't you feel that? I mean, Satan is using our society and our culture around us to push people away from God. And there's all this infighting and struggling and uh, violence that is happening around us. You know, we have to stand firm in the midst of that. You know, we can't just decide we're going to pick a side and we're going to be on this side or that side, some decision, some cultural perspective. we got to stand for Christ. That's who we are. We stand for him in the midst of a culture that doesn't have time for him. But we continue to stand up that Jesus is coming back. Did I tell you? Jesus is coming back. He is going to return. He encourages us. Trust in his authority. What he says in his word, that's what's going to come about. It's not just the latest news, the latest book that somebody wrote or whatever. And I'm not knocking all that. I'm just saying what the word has to say. Trust in his authority. Persevere. Have courage. Be strong. Even in the midst of trials, struggles, difficulties, persecution, persevere in the power of the name of Christ. He gives us one more. One more attitude. This attitude is... Long for the coming of Jesus Christ. Long for His coming. Do you long for the coming of Christ? Uh, He is reminding us that if we stand firm, that the gospel will be preached to the whole world, and recognizing that when all that happens, uh, it will come. That's that's why we that's why we support missions. That's why we send out missionaries. That's why we do Think Big. That's why we care about Peoria Southside. That's why we take Faith Promise uh, giving, because we can support the message of the gospel being proclaimed around the world, places that we can go, places that we can't go. Because we're not only concerned about what happens around the world, but on your street where you live, the opportunity to share the gospel, to live out a life that's going to bring uh, the presence of Christ into our, our lives. And he says, long for this coming. Uh, you know, that longing creates anticipation. And the more we live in this world, the more we will long for Christ to come back. Um, this text reminds us that there is no doubt that the day of Christ's return will be evident to everyone. His coming will not be a secret. The angels of heaven will let out a trumpet blast and every eye will see that the Son of Man is in the sky and has come. How different that's going to be from his first coming. The first coming was in a place that was remote, an obscure town of Bethlehem just outside of Jerusalem where he largely went unnoticed except for a few shepherds and some farm animals. He came the first time and they laid him in a manger. However, he will come back a second time in glory to bring forth uh, judgment. He will be riding on the clouds. Don't you love singing that, Days of Elijah? Behold, he comes, uh, riding on the clouds. That's what But uh, Daniel prophesied and gave a a proclamation that he was going to to come. So you thought that story I said earlier about riding in your car, thought maybe I made that up. That's Jesus. That's the word of God proclaiming. I don't know if you'll be asleep. I don't know if you'll be cooking, eating at a restaurant, driving in your car, sitting at a ball game, whatever you might be doing. But sometime, somewhere, there's a good chance if you're still alive and the time is right, you're going to see him split the sky and Jesus is going to return. And, uh, and, if, and if I don't get to see it from here, I'm going to see it from the backside, right? <laughs> all the not only the angels coming, but all those believers uh, that are that are going to gather. We're going to be there. Uh, he's coming back. Uh, as long as you're ready. As long as you're ready. No, you can't take any chances. Recognizing that he wants you to, to long for his coming. We see that in, in the verses there, the trumpet that will call and the, as he will gather from the four winds from one end of the heavens uh, to the other. Uh, first time we saw him lying in a manger, second time riding on a cloud. He came the first time in humility, came to provide salvation. He will come the second time in glory to bring judgment, uh, to bring judgment. He comes to us, Daniel proclaims, He comes to give us a word of challenge, reminding us of what he came to tell us. Daniel says... In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Same words. They connect from Daniel uh, to Matthew as he's reminding us of what he has come to do. Jesus is coming back. So what do we do? What's what's our response uh, to Christ's coming? Our response, uh, I'll give you three. Three responses to uh, this coming of Christ. Number one, he encourages us to confidently watch. Confidently watch. Watch. Are you watching for the day when Christ uh, will return? Confidently anticipating uh, this this one that is going to come and reach out to us. Confident watching, proclaiming that he is coming, recognizing his work uh, among us. You know, he's going to uh, come and exceed all our expectations. When when you look at the verses, you can see him uh, saying that there's this uh, fig tree. And he looked at the fig tree, and he says, Just as this fig tree has leaves, and you can tell the seasons as you look at the fig tree, pay attention, know that Christ is coming, consistently watching. You know, we live in a time when the Christians have kind of lost their interest in the second coming of Christ. You You know, I know about... Like Bible studies, and I hear different, pre- and I'm not saying about preaching, you know, because some of it is extreme on the on the like naming and dates and times and all that. I'll talk about that some next time. But recognizing that we should be preparing ourselves, there should be a watchfulness about us as believers. Jesus Christ is coming back. Well, will you be ready? You know, he says here, verse 34 is that verse that uh, comments about the generations. Uh, that were that were going to come he says this generation that he, uh, was he speaking about that generation that was standing there? You know, he uses word like generation and pass away and all these things. Um, you know, there's a lot of different comments about verse 34. Is it a confusing verse, but helping us to see, you know, he wasn't talking about those people that were standing right there, seeing the second coming of Christ. I mean, many of them thought, well, he's gonna, he's gonna be resurrected and then he'll just come right back. Um, You know, they didn't recognize he's he's talking to them about not just the the generation that they're a part of. The idea is that all these things that he's been talking about, tribulations, deceptions, earthquake, wars and rumors of war, that every generation until he comes is going to see those things. So we recognize. uh, Do you know that his coming is closer now than it's ever been? Pretty obvious, isn't it? He's coming back. And he's a, his impact of, the, his, of his words and his teaching have impacted every generation. People for thousands of years have continued to think it's now, now's the time. And it could be, or it could be another thousand. We, do, we just don't know. Now, it doesn't seem like it would be that long, but I'm telling you, those people in the 1800s, they thought it was any day too. Uh, it's been a hundred years or more since then. So uh, recognizing that we are called to be confidently watching Secondly, patiently waiting, patiently waiting, waiting and anticipating what he uh, wants us to do, waiting with expectation uh, of his coming. As we wait for the coming of our King, we know for sure that he's coming back and that it's getting closer and recognizing that we're waiting to experience uh, his coming. He has promised Uh, our words are inadequate. All I can tell you is it's going to be better than you ever dreamed it could be. It's going to be beyond our expectations. Even trying to find words to describe it are completely uh, inadequate. We are to be hopeful. Haven't you been hopeful about things that maybe kind of felt like it was okay or maybe that was totally disappointing? There will be no disappointment when you see Jesus unless you're not ready. He said people would be mournful. You know, that's not going to be me. I'm not being mournful. Uh, I'm going to... I believe that I will know just from thinking about this and anticipating it, but there'll be so many that will be lost, mournful, he says. The last attitude, Christians urgently working, urgently working. Don't we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. We pray that in the Lord's prayer. Your kingdom come, his return. We're expecting it. And so we work urgently. What am I saying? I'm saying that he's coming, but we got to be about the work. We got to continue to work urgently to build his kingdom and to help people find Christ and to, to build his church till he comes. Do you long for his coming? I was thinking about waiting. You know, how do you wait? I noticed that a lot of people wait like this. It's your uh, laughter of identification, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we, we wait. Um, you know, sometimes, you know, we, we kick back like we're waiting, you know, so, so bored. What can I do? How, why do I have to wait so long? Right? How about this? How about waiting forwardly? Waiting with anticipation, Waiting, and we're working while we're waiting. We're thinking about it. Here, I always try to challenge you or influence you some way. Here, I dare you. I dare you. When I was a kid, I'd say, I double-dog dare you. I dare you to think every day that Jesus is coming back, that he might come today. That right there will change how you live. That will change how you think. Because he, he, I, I told you, didn't he? He's coming back. He's coming back for you as a, as, as a believer. But he's coming back that everybody's going to see it. It won't just be a little secret in and out. No, everybody's going to see it. Everybody's going to know Jesus is coming back. If you think about that every day, I dare you. Start thinking about that because you've forgotten that. You believe it. Because when I started preaching about it today, I could tell you in the room, you believe it, but you don't think about it enough. Right? We we kind of forget about it. We got our own little schedule, we got things going on. But the truth is that Jesus Christ could come any day, and you must be ready. Don't forget about him. Don't get wrapped up in something petty and, and get you all wound up and messed up, and you're you're wandering. you cannot afford to be wandering from God. You might have time to get back. You might not. I got a call the other day, and, I, you know, we were talking about somebody that, was, uh, that was, seemed like they were passing away. And he and I discussed the importance of that moment, of maybe that person being able to hear or to share with him. We, we long for that, don't we? someone that doesn't know Christ or we're concerned about them, to have a chance. But you won't have a chance. When the sky splits, it's going to be too late. You must be ready. You must be thinking that Jesus Christ is coming about. This is something that we believe. We believe in. We are a church that believes in the second coming of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. You know, I'm not concerned about what, I don't know what day it's going to be. I mean, these people that try to come up with the dates and all that, I just want to pull out my Bible. Do you see what that says right there? Nobody knows. <laughs> I don't know. All I know is I'm going to be ready. Right. My heart is right with him. You know, when the tribulation comes, when temptation is there, when there's some kind of de- deception from the enemy or somebody else, I got I to gotta have short accounts with God. You know what short accounts are? Yeah, we don't, we don't let the account get long. We, we pay the debt off. My mother was an accountant, person like that. She used to say that. She said, you know, you're better off if you, uh, you know, keep up with your bills. Make sure things are paid. Keep short accounts. I like that because that's what I keep with God. I don't, you know, you, uh, man, I love singing it as well with my soul and all that. Um, but I, I'm I'm going to be ready. Are you going to be ready? Little song we sing says, "Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King." Sing it out. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Soon and very soon, we are going to see the King. Then what? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! We're going to see the King. I would assume that so many of you in this room, you're ready. Uh, You're right with me. But I just want you to know if, uh, if you wonder, if you're ready. Make it right today. Make it right now. Don't don't walk away. He hasn't forgotten you. He hasn't pushed you to the side. He loves you. He wants you. All you have to do is tell him. Tell him you're sorry. Tell him you repent. Tell him you, you want him to help you change your ways. Don't live in a way that would cause you not to be ready. You cannot bear the cost of missing his coming. Jesus, pray for all my friends here today. I thank you for the chance for us to be together to talk about this incredibly important issue. Lord, I thank you. So many of us, we say hallelujah soon and very soon. We don't know when, but we want to be ready. Keep us close. Keep us close to you. Lord, if there's even one person in this room right now that if you came while I was preaching, maybe they wouldn't have been ready. Maybe maybe they would have been lost and not realized the magnitude of what they were losing. So I pray today, Lord, would you let it be possible that everybody in this church building today and everybody in this room right now would know Christ would receive you, that you would say, if you'll make room for me, I'm making room for you, and I will come back and take you to be with me. Lord, may that be true. May that be an assurance for every one of us. Help us to know it without any doubt. We thank you. Jesus is coming back. In your name, Lord, amen.